There are times when I am asked a question and I'm not sure where the question is coming from. Like, what do they mean by this, right? Sometimes my kids will ask me, do we have any plans for this weekend? And it's because they want to have some anticipation for what it is that we're going to do that weekend. And sometimes they say, do we have any plans this weekend? And I say, uh, no, I don't think we do. And then they say, well, then can we? And I go, oh, it was a trap. <laughs> it was a trap. And sometimes somebody will come up and, and ask you a question and they will, you, they're just, you're going, uh-oh, this is a trap question. I, I know this is a trap question. They're trying to make me choose sides or something, and I know that this is a trap question. Well, today we are going to be uh, returning to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and uh, Jesus is going to be an, asked a trap question by the Pharisees. But before we do that, because it's been a little while, several months actually, since we were in the book of Matthew, let's uh, do a quick recap for why the Pharisees want to trap Jesus, right? So uh, the book of Matthew begins with uh, Matthew telling us that uh, Jesus is the messianic, the anointed king that we have been waiting for, right? The Jewish people were waiting for the king of God to come to rule the, the people in peace, and, and so they were waiting for this one who was sent by God to come and be the great king, the one in the line of David. And Matthew sets it up by making it clear for us right away with Jesus' lineage that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. Then from there, Jesus goes and begins his ministry, and he starts to uh, teach and perform miracles to demonstrate that he is the king that we've been waiting for, and to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like to the followers uh, of God, right? So he's, he's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's teaching, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's explaining things to people, and then he's performing miracles and healing people to both show them physically what the kingdom of heaven is like in Jesus' being there and restoring them from the fall of sin, and also uh, demonstrating his power and authority that had been given to him from God, right? And so he has been doing this all over Israel. He was in Jerusalem, then he went up to uh, Galilee, and now in, the, in Galilee, the northern part of, of Israel, he is now turning and is going to begin to head south toward Jerusalem, where he knows and no one else yet knows that he is going to be crucified, right? But everybody else is just sort of seeing this thing, and the crowds are following him everywhere that he goes, hearing his teaching being very excited about who he is, seeing the miracles that he's performing, being very excited about what he can do. And meanwhile, the Pharisees are hearing this, this the religious leaders of the time are hearing this, seeing this, and going, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look good. This is not what we were expecting or what we were wanting in a Messiah, and so we think that this is a false Messiah, and so we need to get the people to stop following him. We need to get the people to stop following Jesus. And so they keep trying to ask questions to demonstrate that Jesus is not who he says he is so that they can get the crowds to stop crowding around Jesus, okay? So this is what's going on now, and so let's jump in to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Now, 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So here's Jesus. He's just finished teaching. He was just teaching. Uh, the context is, is that he was teaching about uh, forgiveness. They were asking, okay, how often should I forgive somebody? Like, if I forgave somebody like seven times, that'd be a lot, right, Jesus? That'd be, that'd be a pretty good of me. And Jesus was like, that's not even close. Try 77 times. Just however often you need to forgive them, you forgive them. So he finishes that kind of teaching, and now he's on his way. And it says, now Jesus, when he had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So whenever Matthew has this movement of Jesus from one place to another, we can see a scene change, like a movie changes from one scene to another, and the topic changes. And now the Pharisees are going to come up to him and ask him a question. Because they see all those crowds gathered around him. They see all the people, and they're seeing the miracles, and they're going, yep, everybody but he's just going to follow him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. They're going to like praise him and anoint him king as he goes into Jerusalem. The whole thing is going to be terrible. Let's, let's trip him up. Let's trip him up. Verse 3, and the Pharisees came to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. This is, their, this is their trap question. They're setting him up. They're testing him. The, the question is not, is there any reason for which a person could divorce? That's not the question here. The question here is, could a person divorce for any reason? Is there any reason that a person couldn't divorce? That's the real question here. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, there were a couple of schools of thought. One was that, no, there was only very limited reasons for which you could uh, divorce somebody. And then there was another, another group that said, no, you could divorce for any reason. As just as long as you write that certificate of divorce and hand it over, you could divorce your wife for any reason. Did she burn breakfast this morning? See ya. So that's their question. Is it lawful? Is it permitted to divorce somebody for any reason? And he answered, verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Have you not read? Jesus doesn't like play games with them, right? He's not messing around. He goes, do you remember didn't you ever read Genesis chapter 1 or 2? Have you ever heard that when God created them, He created them? Male and female, He created them? And said, therefore, 
a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, just in case you haven't ever read that before, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in the beginning, God had been creating all of the world, and he gets to the end, and he says, okay, this is, this is good. This is good. I have done really well in all that I have created. This is a beautiful world. And now, now God says, and he, he's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together there, building together, uh, creation together, then say, let's Let's make mankind in our image. Let's make mankind in our image. And he makes them male and female, and then he says, there. That is the image of God in creation. He will rule over all that we have created. He will manage it, take care of it, steward it. And male and female together, there they are created, each individually and together in our image. This picture of, of uh, God in perfect unity with himself, right? The Holy Trinity in perfect unity with himself. Now this male and female come together. And so we have at, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God created them in his image and said, and now what we're going to do is we're going to put them together. They will be united as one flesh. There will be a perfect unity between them. There will not be, they were naked and unashamed, right? They were completely unashamed to be in one another's presence. There was no division between them. There was harmony between them. And they were joined together as one in perfect unity as the image of God. This is the picture of who God is. So, he says, do you remember that? Do you remember that? And the Pharisees are going, of course, we remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2. <laughs> Memorized it. Of course, I know. They set the trap. Jesus stepped into it, right? What's he going to do? Say, no. Nope. Marriage is unimportant. No, he takes them right back to the beginning. Of course marriage is important. This is the image of God at stake here. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't pull apart what God has joined together for his image. Do you understand that when you put two things together, when you cleave them together to unite them and make them one, that you don't rip them apart again? Do you understand what the permanence of this marriage bond is supposed to be like. Can you imagine somebody goes walking into a tattoo parlor 
and they say, um, I'd like to have this uh, tattoo removed, please. What do you mean you'd like to have the tattoo removed? That we put that, that's permanent there. That's, do you mean you'd like to have it changed? No, I'd, I'd like it to have, I'd like a refund on it. I don't, I don't like this tattoo anymore. I, I, that was like years ago. I was different back then. I had different priorities, different thoughts. That was, that was a different me back then when I put this tattoo on. And so today, though, I don't really like it. It doesn't please me anymore. And so could we just take this tattoo off? No, that, that's permanent. That's permanent. You don't just take it off. Yeah, I know, but they, they, permanent markers, they, they have a magic eraser now that just takes off. Permanent marker. Could we just, like, magic eraser that thing? No, this is a tattoo. This is permanent. And Jesus is saying, when you take two individuals and you unite them in marriage and they become one flesh, there's not a taking them apart. We put them together. So they go, Okay. Verse 7. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Boom! Gotcha, Jesus! So what we have is Jesus on one side and Moses on the other. Are you telling me that you're going to argue with Moses? Moses, the guy who saw God face to face. Moses, the guy who brought us the law. Moses, you're going to argue with Moses. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, what they're referring to is Deuteronomy chapter 24. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she then departs out of her house. Now, the, the, okay, let me give you the whole context, then we'll go back and talk about it. If, he, if she departs and goes out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man also hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband, who sent her away, may not take her to be his wife again after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Okay, so what's going on here is he says, if you find a reason that you didn't uh, like your wife, that's what it said in verse 1, right? When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her away. Now, there are two camps at this time. One camp says that that indecency means he found her to be cheating on him or something akin to that. And the other camp goes, no, 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 this is anything that I don't like. Anything that I don't like. 
If there's any reason that she finds no favor in my eyes anymore, then I can send her out with a writ of divorce. That's what the two camps were saying. And so now then they're bringing this to Jesus and they're going, okay, if marriage is this bond that we are cleaved together and you become one flesh, then how come Moses says that when there's something wrong, you just send her out with a writ of divorce? Why is that? Why are you against Moses? Why don't you agree with Moses? And Jesus says this, verse 8. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Guys, don't you recognize that from the beginning, the marriage bond was to be a picture of who God is. That was the purpose in the beginning. So then, because of sin, because of your hardness of heart, there had to be some sort of stipulation. What could we do? What could we do if something goes so wrong that the divorce has to happen? Then write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Because if they didn't do that, the man in this husband-wife relationship could go, you know, I'm not really feeling it, goodbye, and kick her out. And then she's stuck. She's alone. And what is she to do? Where is she to go? Well, if she tries to get married to somebody else, maybe he comes back and goes, oh, no, no, that's my wife. I'm taking her back. And so Moses said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. If you're going to send her out, you have to send her out with a writ of divorce that says, you are free. You're free from me. That's what has to happen. But, but Jesus is saying, but that's what had to happen because of the sin that broke the thing to begin with. From the beginning, that's not how it was designed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be permanent. And if it's supposed to be permanent, then let's not be flippant and say, oh, for any reason then, right? Because God gave us a reason or a way of doing a divorce, then I can do that for any reason. And Jesus says, no. No, we don't treat marriage that lightly. We understand this to be a picture of the image of God. We understand this to be, as God has uh, said over and over again, that he has used this as a picture of his relationship with his people. God has said, not only have I created you in my image, but also this represents the relationship that I have with you. So when he took them out of Egypt and went to bring them into their homeland that he had prepared for them, he made a covenant with them and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
And you will live in this land that I will provide for you. And I will provide you shelter and protection and provision and all that you require in this land. In fact, immediately after the covenant was made, he wandered them around in the desert for 40 years where they lacked not for clothing nor for food the entire time. He just provided it for them. It is a picture of the relationship between God and his people. In fact, Jesus says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Why is that? Why is that? Because if there was nothing that happened, if there was no indecency in her, and you just said, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. I'd kind of like to move on. Here you go. There's a writ of divorce. You're on your way. I'm going to go with this lady instead. Jesus is saying, what's the difference between doing that and being married to this woman and going, I'm just going to go be with this lady instead. In either case, you were being faithless to the wife of your youth. In either case, you were not faithful to your marriage covenant. You just went, nope, I'm done over here, I'm moving over there. He said, we can't treat it so flippantly. In the years to come after Jesus, the prophets would be using this imagery. uh, uh, Sorry, in the years before Jesus, the prophets were using this imagery. And they were using this imagery over and over again so that Hosea talks about it in the faithlessness of God's people. And Hosea is the prophet that that, uh, God gave... in my view, a terrible job. He said, Hosea, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and I want you to find a woman who is already unfaithful and I want you to make her be your wife. And Hosea went, okay, Lord. And he went out and he found an unfaithful wife. And he took her to be his wife and she ran away so that she could go be unfaithful to him again. And God said, I want you to go and get her and bring her back. So Hosea went, okay, I'm going to go get her and I'm going to go bring her back. And Hosea said to his wife, listen, you're my wife. Please be faithful to me. Please don't run away. Please stay here and be my wife. And she ran away. And God said, this is the picture of my people. Because I have been your God and I have called you and I have been faithful to you and I have provided for you and I provided protection for you and shelter for you and clothing for you and food for you. I have provided love for you. I have provided all that you have required and you have not been faithful to me. 
You went and you served other gods. And I went and I brought you back. And you went and served other gods. And I went and I brought you back. And you went and served other gods. And I went and I brought you back. Please, remain faithful to me. And he's using this picture of marriage and the faithlessness in marriage with the relationship between him and his people and saying, I have been the faithful husband and you have been the unfaithful wife. Please, repent of your unfaithfulness and be faithful to me. And when the kingdom was divided, the north in Israel and the south in Judah and uh, Israel had been unfaithful over and over again and finally was conquered by foreign nations. And Judah, God is talking to them through his prophets and saying, look what happened to Israel. Unfaithful over and over and over again and then conquered by other nations and I want to be your God and you to be my people. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, that I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. And yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. What are you doing? What are you doing? Did you not see what happened to Israel and take note and learn a lesson from their bad behavior? And God said, Wait. Sent them away. And you're in danger of being in the same place. After this, Malachi, the prophet says, and this also you do, verse, chapter 2. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why doesn't God hear us anymore? Why doesn't God respond to us anymore? It's because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Was not the one God, what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. 
said, not only have you been unfaithful to your covenant with me, but also you've been unfaithful in your covenant to your wife. And in this faithlessness and writing these divorces and and putting away your wives and moving on, he said, you're covering yourselves with violence. You're covering yourselves with wrongdoing. Jesus is trying to be very clear to the Pharisees. Look, we cannot be flippant about this marriage relationship. We must take it seriously because the character, the, the, um, the presentation of the character of God is at stake here. Do you recognize that in your own marriages? That the character of God is on display? The character of God is on display between you, right? Every time that I wrong my wife and have to go and repent to her and she offers forgiveness toward me, and restoration, it highlights for me the kind of grace and love that God has for me. Every time that we have difficulties and and, uh, dissension and we we are trying to figure something out, but we remain unified and and get through, we recognize that there is uh, safety and comfort in the context of the covenant relationship of marriage because we are unified. And it highlights for me the the safety and security that I have in the covenant relationship with God. And when I see the relationship that God has had with his people historically and the way that he has loved them and forgiven them and been gracious to them, it gives me great comfort that he is going to remain faithful to his covenant with me. It is a great picture It's a great picture within the context of marriage, and it's a great picture for those from outside to see what this unity of man and wife looks like and the way that God loves his people. It's a picture. It's a picture for us to better understand who God is. And so he says, so this is really important. Guys, this is really important. We can't just play fast and loose with this. We can't just go, no, for any reason, you can just write that degree of divorce and send them away. He said, no, that, that misses it. It misses the whole heart of the covenant relationship and the permanence and security therein if it could just go away for any reason. And so having explained this, this is his disciples' response. (laughs) Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Whoa! Jesus! 
if you're going to want us to have that kind of a relationship with our wives, it's going to be better not to get married at all. I just, I, I think of Peter going, Jesus, if I, if I forgive my brother seven times, that's a lot, right? And Jesus going, no, 77 times. And Peter going, oh, no, that's forever. And here the disciples going, oh, no, marriage is forever. Jesus is going, yeah, guys. Yeah. That's what this is. That's what this is. There are times when the marriage relationship is so broken beyond repair that a certificate of divorce says it's over. But if the marriage relationship is not completely destroyed already, then we got to do whatever we can to make this work. To demonstrate the character of God to our spouse and to those who are watching. That's a really hard place to be. Oh, it's beautiful when everything was working right. It's so beautiful when everything is working the way that it's supposed to. But when it's not, it's a really hard place to be. And so his disciples are going, that could be really hard. I think, Jesus, that if that's the case, it's probably better to not get married at all. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you think so? Verse 11, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Yep. You guys think that it's hard, but single life is not for everyone. There are people who have been single from birth. There are people who uh, have been made single by context. It's, singleness has been forced upon them. And there are people who have remained single for the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom of God. But it's not for everybody. Not for everybody. It's not like we can say, oh, well, marriage is really hard, so the single life, that's way easier, way better. No, that's not way easier, way better. Oh, the single life is really hard, so let's get married because otherwise that single life is really difficult. Well, the marriage may not be better. But the recognizing of the faithful covenant honors and glorifies God either way whether in your steadfast commitment to Him in singleness or your steadfast commitment to Him within the context of a marriage relationship, either one can bring glory to God. It is in the faithlessness that it doesn't bring glory. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it, he says. And I recognize 
that in this passage, these are hard sayings, right? They're hard sayings because the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus said, no, there's no easy way out, guys. And our temptation may be, when we get to this, to ask the trap question, right? The trap question was, what's permitted? What's allowed? And we get to a text like this, and we go, okay, so what's allowed? What's permitted? Missing the fact that the question was asked as a trap. Let's not fall that ourselves into that trap. Let's just recognize the importance of the marriage relationship and faithfulness in general. Faithfulness to covenant in general. And when we look at it and we say, this is really hard. This single life is really hard. Then we recognize that we are dependent on God. And when we say this married life is really hard, we recognize that we are dependent on God. And when we say this divorced life is really hard, we recognize that we are dependent on God. And that right now we are in this context where things are not yet perfect where the only one who is perfectly faithful to their covenant is God. But He is so gracious. He is so loving. He is so willing to forgive and to bring you back, to restore and make you whole, to provide and protect. He is so good. And there is a day that is coming when we will see that union with us and Him perfected. Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is the picture of what the end will look like when the church is united with Christ forever. And the church, for all of its failures, for all of our individual sins and failures, will be made perfect and clean and robed in righteous deeds, the righteous deeds that were given to us by Christ. And it's going to be beautiful and we will be united with Him forever. And for now, we just anticipate that day. We praise Him because we see it's coming. We praise Him because He's already made His covenant with us. We just haven't seen it fully realized yet and perfected yet. 
And so for now, we say, praise you, Jesus. Come again quickly. And we are going to celebrate communion together. And very often when we celebrate communion, the thing that we are remembering is that Jesus' death and resurrection cleanses us from our sins. And that's true today and every day. But today, when we take the communion together, we want to take it in anticipation of this fulfillment of Jesus being united with His people in perfection for all of eternity. So if you believe that Jesus is your uh, Savior, then I would encourage you, uh, the worship team is going to come up and sing a song, and during that song, uh, you can come, there's a table here in the front and one in the back. You can get the bread and the cup, bring it back to your seat. And after that song is over, I will get back up and we will take it together in remembrance of what Jesus has done and what he will be doing. Let's pray. Lord God, you are gracious. You are good. And Father, I know that there are all kinds of contexts of relationship in this room. There are people who have been hurt by their spouse. There are people who have been divorced or widowed. There are people who have been single for their whole lives. And Father, we recognize that we need your grace. We need your grace to help us to live and to love as you do. And so, Lord, we ask, would you give us the grace that we need to model your love and forgiveness toward others? And Lord, whatever the physical relationships might be, we ask, would you forgive us of our sin and build in us the hope and anticipation of union with you? And we ask for this in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen.